grab your attention back again, friends. And um, it's great that you're with us tonight uh, at Uni Church. And um, uh, if you're new along tonight, uh, particularly welcome to you. And um, uh, you've come up, you've joined us at a point where we're kind of in the middle of looking through a text of the Bible that's three and a half thousand years old and um, the book of Leviticus. And uh, so as we look at that tonight, I'm going to begin by praying and asking God to give us help as we uh, come to these ancient words of his. Uh, let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that we can gather tonight. We give you thanks that we can read these ancient words of yours, that through your spirit you make alive, uh, living and active words. And um, we pray that as we look at them and uh, see all these strange laws, uh, help us to see your goodness, your glory, uh, particularly reflected in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, um, you might remember uh, two years ago, I think you should be able to remember two years ago, um, where the, the cathedral, the Notre Dame Cathedral, was devastated by fire. Why was it that France and many people right around the world wept as it went up in flames? Why did they weep so much? And uh, I think it's because it held a special place in their hearts. French President Emmanuel Macron says, Notre Dame, I won't read this out in, in my French accent. Um, Notre Dame is our history. Notre Dame is our literature, part of our psyche, the place of our great events, our epidemics, our wars, our liberations, the epicentre of our entire lives. So the space, the stories, the history of this ancient building mattered to these people. And even among the unspiritual, it's considered sacred and holy. And so it's treated differently to other common buildings. It is set apart for special use. Uh, so too, indigenous scar trees. Now, I didn't know this until recently um, about the whole thing with indigenous scar trees. Uh, bark is cut from a gum tree to make things like canoes and shields and shelter. But the, there are scars put into the trees that also mark boundaries and other important areas such as birthing trees. And for generations, um, indigenous women have given birth at these trees. Uh, in some places as well, they uh, get the placenta and they get a seed from the tree and they go and plant a tree uh, to, to commemorate this. Uh, there's a few scar trees down the road in the Wiradjuri wetlands um, and all along the Murrumbidgee River. And these trees are culturally sacred. They are holy. They are set apart for special use. Now, it's not okay to go and cut it down for firewood. Sadly, around our nation, though, these trees are being cut down, um, but there are fewer tears for these significant trees than there is for the Notre Dame Cathedral. But what do you think of as holy? Maybe it's the MCG. Maybe it's the green carpet here in the rec hall. I cannot touch this. 
It's been here for as long as I've been around. In 25 years, it hasn't changed. It's incredible. Um, what about your parents or grandparents? Do they have a good room? Or the good cutlery that only comes out for special occasions? Um, would you use Don Bradman's bat to knock in a few fence posts? Somewhat. Or do you think, you know, hang on, these are the good RB sellers shorts, I better save them for a special occasion. I'm sure there's some who do. And we all have a concept of holiness. Different religions around the world have concepts of holiness, something that we set apart for special use. And that is what God thinks about his people. He makes them holy and he sets them apart for special use. And this is what these chapters of Leviticus are about tonight. As we cover chapters 17 to 22, it's all about how God wants his special people to live, set apart from the nations around them, from the, the wicked nations around them, to live holy lives. Now, the backstory of, of this call to holy living is set as God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, from out from under Pharaoh. God rescued them through, through Moses, and he established them as his special people in all the earth. And so that's the context, that's the backstory of, of Leviticus here and of holiness. And so the first half of the book of Leviticus, chapters 1 to 16, and we saw how God's people became holy after he rescued them from Egypt, and it's all through animal sacrifices. It's through these rituals, through blood, through the priests, as their sin is atoned for. So last week in chapter 16, we saw that it's kind of the high point of this book of Leviticus. It's all culminating in the biggest day of the year in the, the, um, the Israelite calendar. And that is the day of atonement, where the tent where God lived among his ancient people, the tabernacle, was cleansed with blood to set it apart as the holy dwelling place of God among his people. And so the holy God, who is living among his people, requires his people to be holy. Uh, so if you've got your outline there, we're up to point two, um, where holiness is required. God requires his people to be holy. And this is what the second half of the book of Leviticus is about. How God's people, once they are made holy, are going to stay holy as they follow God's laws for what sets them apart from everyone else. So chapter 19 begins in this way. So you've got your Bibles, follow along. We're going to be jumping to a few different places. Uh, chapter 19 begins in this way. The Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So the logic is, is this, since God is holy, his people must reflect this holiness in every aspect of their life. And so what follows in, in chapter 17 to 22 are God's laws for how these ancient Israelites were to live holy lives. They are instructions for holy living. And uh, as we read through, you might have, um, if you know the Ten Commandments, you might have seen some similarities there. All of these laws are, are an elaboration 
of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai. So these laws, um, uh, there's a whole lot of different ones. You probably saw it jumping all over the place as we read through chapter 19. Um, One of the big things about these laws is that they were about exclusive worship of God alone. And so in chapter 17, uh, the sacrifices could only be done at the place that God said that they could be done, at the tabernacle. They couldn't be done anywhere else, out in the bush or or anywhere, because um, in ancient times, there, there were no atheists. Everyone believed in some kind of a deity. Everyone worshipped some kind of God. And if the Israelites went and did their sacrifices elsewhere, they'd likely offer them to the pagan gods and not to God alone. Uh, so chapter 17, verse 7, you can see there about the goat demons that people might go and worship to, uh, offer these sacrifices to. So exclusive worship of God was also seen in the commands in chapter 18, verse 21, to not offer child sacrifices like the nations around them, or to turn to mediums and spiritists in chapter 19, verse 31. So chapter 18 begins like this. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am the Lord your God. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live, or... Follow the practices of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You must not follow their customs. Now these laws are so the Israelites would worship God alone. Not the God of the Egyptians, not the God of the Canaanites. But to worship God alone as his sacred people in in countercultural ways to the nations around them. The laws also speak at length about relational integrity, not just about exclusive worship of God, but about relational integrity of honouring parents and family and the elderly. It calls for relational integrity in in sexual purity. Uh, Throughout chapters 18, 19 and 20, there are all sorts of sexual practices that are forbidden with close family members, people of the same sex, with animals even which all breaches uh, the pattern that God revealed in Genesis. That the only right place for the expression of sexual relations is in the marriage of one man and one woman. And I think the difficulty that we have in hearing this is because our society has made sex ultimate and a core part of our identity. But the Bible doesn't speak of our identity in that way. Knowing God and being known by God is what is ultimate. That is what is central about who we are. It's about a relationship with the living God. And there's no law against that. There's also laws in these chapters about honest dealings. No stealing, no lying, no favouring the rich, having honest scales and paying your workers the right wages. Uh, There's also laws about caring for the weak and the vulnerable in society and with foreigners as well. So chapter 19, verse 34, you'll regard the alien who resides with you as the native born among you. You're to love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. There's also seemingly random laws throughout as well. 
and forbid crossbreeding livestock. I love a good crossbred lamb on the spit. Whoops. Um, Undersowing crops. A little bit of undersowing crops, don't you? It's pasture a crop. Well, I'm not the Aggie. Um, but you know, you, you, you sow a couple of different seeds at once. Um, wearing clothes with different threads. I think we're all busted for that one. Um, having tattoos and shaving the sides of your head. Thanks to Bessie, our Bible reader. <laughs> yeah. But these are all things that, that we are, are guilty of if we were living back in the time of ancient Israel. But why? Do you wonder why on earth God would be concerned about these kinds of things? Is he just being kind of pedantic? Is he just a micromanager on a power trip? Um, you know, just look at all the times in chapter 19 where you know, the sentence finishes, I am the Lord. Well, to help us understand the, the reason why all these laws were given, that we need to understand context. And the context is God choosing and redeeming these people. Not because they are anyone special. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy tells us no. In fact, they were stiff-necked people. Uh, but God chose them by his own pleasure and will. God just decided to set these particular people apart for himself and to bless them and to bless the whole world through them as he brings them into the promised land and to live with him forever. And so we need to understand that context as, uh, as the background to these laws. It's so easy to get bogged down in all the little details of what is happening in these chapters and lose sight of the bigger picture. Uh, because what we've seen that Leviticus is about uh, in the, the last five weeks or so that we've been going through Leviticus is it's all about living with God. And the coming chapters we'll see in the next two weeks, we'll see the what it looks like to be blessed by God with festivals and, and rest and prosperity. But as we look at these, these details and these laws that seem a bit random, we need to see that it's all about how do we live with God? How do unholy people live with a holy God? Now, if you've got your Bibles there, come with me to the end of chapter 20, uh, because here we see a really great summary. I'm not sure if I've got a slide with this on it, is he? Oh, I do, yes. Okay. Um, so, end of chapter 20, verse 22. You were to keep all my statutes and all my ordinances and do them so that the land where I am bringing you to live will not vomit you out. Beautiful imagery. You must not follow the statutes of the nations I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and I abhorred them. And I promised you, you will inherit their land, since I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who set you apart from the peoples. Therefore, you are to distinguish between clean animal from the unclean one, the unclean bird from the clean one. We saw that in uh, chapters 1 to 7, didn't we, all of those? Uh, uh, strange kind of uh, designations of clean and unclean animals and what they could and couldn't eat or touch. 
Uh, do not be contaminated by any land animal or bird or whatever crawls on the ground. I have set these apart as unclean for you, but you are to be holy to me, because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be mine. So these laws are to show their holiness, to show that they belong to God. He has called them out of the nations to be his holy people and to reflect God's holiness to the nations around them. And so the way that these ancient Israelites were to live was to declare to the nations how good and righteous God is. They were to make God attractive as they lived with purity and integrity, even though some of these laws seem fairly strange and archaic to us. But as history records, well, the Israelites were vomited out. They were painfully vomited out of the land because they became indistinguishable from the nations around them. The things that were forbidden here, even like child sacrifices, the Israelites did that. Now, all of these laws, they reveal to us something of God. They show us his character. They're a reflection of God himself in all of his holiness. But God is not just a God of holy perfection in whom there is no evil. God is not only a God of holy perfection who demands holiness of his people. Because we see that God is also a God of fatherly love who through the perfect and willing sacrifice of God the Son shares his eternal holiness with people like us. Now we're up to point three in the outline, holiness given. Now it's impossible for anyone to follow this holiness code in Leviticus. It's impossible to be holy through our own efforts. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to do what we could never do. And so through Jesus' perfect obedience, through his perfect sacrifice, through his atoning death and resurrection to life, Jesus, the Holy One of God, shares his holiness with us. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as, and expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless and blameless in him. So through faith in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. We're not only reconciled to God, not only at peace with God, having our sin forgiven and the wrath of God averted for our sin. We have those things, but we will also be holy and faultless and blameless before his throne when Jesus returns. And friends, what a relief this is that Jesus shares his holiness with us. That he reconciles us with God because we cannot do that ourselves. No amount of law-keeping 
No amount of doing stuff will make us right with God. We need Jesus. Now we rightly commemorate Reconciliation Week this week. We rightly ask for forgiveness from the First Nation peoples for all the wrongs that our ancestors have done to them and the ways we might still today share in or uh, perpetuate or tolerate those wrongs continuing. We should seek to listen and understand and come up with ways that we can right these significant wrongs. As we respect them and their sacred places as people who were made in the image of God, as people who Jesus died for to reconcile them as he does for us. Because Jesus makes all those who come to him for forgiveness holy, well, it means that we can truly follow God's command to be holy as I am holy. Because we can't do that on our own. We can't do that unless Jesus makes us holy to begin with. And so this call to be holy as I am holy is a call to be who we are. Jesus makes us holy, so we are to be holy. And this is what the Apostle Peter does as he quotes from Leviticus 19 in his letter. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, um, the Apostle Peter writes this. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, quoting Leviticus 19, Be holy, because I am holy. So what the Apostle Peter is saying is, Be who you are in Christ. If Jesus has made you holy by trusting in his death, in his atoning work on the cross for you, then be holy in all of your conduct. Flee from sin and pursue righteousness, empowered by the Holy Spirit who now lives in his people. What does it mean to be holy? What does that look like? Well, as in the days of Leviticus, holy living can really be summed up like this. It's the way that Jesus summed it up for us uh, in our reading from Mark's Gospel tonight. It is to love God and to love your neighbour as yourself. That's basically what it means to be holy. To love God and love your neighbour as yourself. So I want to ask you a really personal question. How is your love life? How is your love life? How is your holiness? Do you love God? Do you exclusively worship Him alone? Do you love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength? And do you really love your neighbour as yourself? And particularly this week as we think about our First Nation neighbours, do you love your First Nation neighbours? Or is your love life focused on yourself? Now, please do hear me clearly. We cannot love love perfectly before Jesus returns. But we can love God and love our neighbours in increasing measure in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do fail to love, when we fail in our holiness, 
Uh, we're not punished, thankfully, in the same way that those in ancient Israel were punished, because Jesus bore that punishment. But we are compelled when we fail to love, when we fail in our holiness, we are compelled to repent, to confess our sin to God, and to turn from it. And we know that He will forgive us. And so, as we do that, as we repent of our sin, when we fail to love, when we fail in our holiness, God will help us to keep loving Him and to keep loving our neighbours with vigour. And so as God's people live holy lives today, there's a missional aspect to this as well, just as it did in Old Testament times. Because our holiness is to set us apart from the rest of the world. We're not to be compromised and, and have no distinction between Christian and, and, and non-Christian. Sure, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And so in our holiness, as we follow uh, the way that, that Jesus tells us to live, well, we're going to stand out in this world. We're going to be like that city on a hill in Matthew chapter 5 uh, that cannot be hidden. We're going to be like the salt on the earth that is distinctive. And so our holiness is to set us apart, to be witnesses of God's grace and his love to the world. That we might share God's love and forgiveness and his blessing so that the ends of the earth will find salvation in him. And so as we love God and love our neighbour, there is a mission that we are on as we do that. And so your holiness is not all about you. Your holiness is about God and how you love him. Your holiness is about your neighbour and loving your neighbour as you are a witness to the nations. Uh, the Apostle Peter continues in his letter uh, just a couple of verses later in chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, he says, picking up so much imagery of, of the Old Testament of Leviticus, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his possession. You see the reason here? Why he's done this? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. How might God be calling you to be holy this week in all your conduct? Who might God bring across your path this week that you can love selflessly? even if it's really hard. Or someone that you might need to say sorry to. Who might you be able to declare his praises to this week as you be who you are? My friends, be holy in all of your conduct. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. For it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Well, we love to get into the scriptures here together, and uh, it's time for, for questions now. Um, and so as you gather your thoughts and ask 
and I'm asking some questions in your outline. You'll see on the communication card there's a little QR code and you can follow that if you'd like to leave us your details if you've got any comments or questions or things that you might like us to be praying for you through the week, please do, uh, do follow uh, that QR code. Um, uh, yeah, you might have some questions on these chapters in Leviticus or things that I've said tonight. And I'd love to hear them. Yes, Karis? Thanks so much, Steve. We kind of were joking a little bit before about all the laws that we get busted for, like wearing two different kinds of cloth mm. in the one garment things. But then we also you talked about yeah, laws that God established in Leviticus that we still adhere to as Christians, mm-hmm. particularly around sexual ethic and not sacrificing children and mm-hmm. pretty important things. Why do some of the things in Leviticus we can laugh about and why yep. do some we keep? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Karis. And yeah, it's, it, it, that's a real question, isn't it, that, that uh, we get asked in society today, like, you know, do you just pick and choose these, um, these things to... Uh, yeah, to whatever you think you want to do. You know, if you're going to follow one of it, why not follow all of it? Um, and it's a really complex uh, answer to that question. So, so thanks for that, Karis. And um, uh, and a, a few of the things. Um, so, in, so what I was saying in uh, uh, earlier is that we need to understand this in context. Uh, and so, all of this was about how those people in that time and that place were able to live with God, or was God was able to live with, with them. And, uh, and so it's contextual. And now we are not the nation of Israel. We are not under theocracy or under the law of Moses. And so you can't just go straight from this law to that law. Uh, that's what it might look like to, to people um, outside of the church who, who don't really understand what's going on here. Uh, And so this is where we need to understand it in the storyline of the Bible to see how Jesus has come along and and fulfilled all of those laws on our behalf and uh, and how all of these things show us something of of what God is like in his purity and difference to the whole world. Uh, And so what do we do then with with some and, and not the others? Uh, just trying to not make this more complicated. Uh, the the law. So there's there's three kind of R words that I want to give you uh, as we think about Old Testament law. The first R word is rejected. Okay, the the law is rejected um, as a way of being right with God, as a way of salvation. Okay, um, we are not made right with God. The law, so the Old Testament law is just completely rejected, but it is not completely done away with. Uh, so the Apostle Paul says, "You are not under law, but under grace." And so the second R word is replaced. Okay, the the Old Testament law is replaced with the law of grace. Uh, and so Romans chapter six, uh, verse fourteen tells us. Uh, uh, says that to us, Romans 6.14 says, uh, For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under law, but under grace. So we're not under law, we are under grace. And so the law is rejected as a way to be right with God. 
the law is replaced um, with grace in the Lord Jesus. Uh, but the third R word is a big one called reappropriated. Um, reappropriated. And what that means is that there's a, a way that we read the law now that is different because Jesus has fulfilled it. And so the way that we read Old Testament law now is reappropriated as two different ways. First way is his prophecy. So how does this Old Testament law point us toward Jesus? Okay, all the Old Testament is about Jesus, uh, but some of these laws might point us towards him. Uh, like in, in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 28, Acts 28, 23. Um, uh, so here is the Apostle Paul, right at the end of the book of Acts, says, After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging as he was in Rome, um, kind of under house arrest. From dawn to dusk he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God, and he persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. And so what... What Paul does and what all of the, the apostles were doing is they taught the Old Testament scriptures and said, this is all about Jesus. So it's about prophecy and pointing to Jesus who is, uh, fulfills that law for us. Uh, and the second way it's reappropriated is with wisdom. Um, and so what, is, what do these laws teach us about God? And the stuff about, you know, the... the um, not mixing your, your seed and the, the mixture of uh, material in your clothing is all about purity and it shows that God himself is, is singular and pure and he cannot be contaminated with something else. And so they tell us something about what God is like. Um, but it also is wisdom by telling us uh, the good way for us to live as God's people. Because God made us, uh, he knows how how we should live that enables human flourishing and so uh, the law is reappropriated as wisdom how does it teach us how we are to love God and how we are to love our neighbour as ourselves and so that's kind of what happens as we try and think about how what, what, what part does Old Testament law have to do with us today it is rejected because it does not save us by obeying it. Um, it is replaced to say that we are not under law, we are under grace, that God forgives us and makes us right with him by his grace, not through the law. And then the law is reappropriated as prophecy and as scripture. So, there you have it. Um, lots to think about. Come and chat to me more if uh, afterwards if you have any more thoughts or confusions about that. Yes, Nat. Um, so not a question about the sermon, but just a bit earlier. Um, in when we say the creed, why do we say the why do we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church? Mm -hmm. Yep. Thanks, Nat. Do you want to bring the creed up for us, Izzy? If you're able to to skip back through there, is that going to work? Um, so the Apostles' Creed is here. We go. Third page. There we are. Um, so the Apostles' Creed is, is something that Christians have, have said uh, as the basis of our belief 
um, uh, throughout, uh, throughout generations. And so we've got the one line there, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Uh, note it does not say the Holy Roman Church. Um, the word Catholic just simply means universal. Okay, so it's just saying, I believe in the church in which all who have faith in Jesus belong to. Uh, and so sometimes a modernised version might say, I believe in the Holy Universal Church. Um, but the word Catholic itself just means universal, everyone. And so we just preserve the main, the, uh, the original way it's being said there to, uh, because that's just what the meaning Catholic has meant for hundreds of years. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Is there another question coming up? Yes, Matt? Yes, um, with the marriage being sacredly between a man and a woman, mm -hmm. what about, uh, like, sexual relations and that, what about with slaves? Because um, what's the, because God kind of permits sexual relations with slaves as well, does that kind of void the... Yeah, so in slavery? chapter 19, you mean the, the yeah, part that was read out? Yeah, verse 20. Um, chapter 19, verse 20, if a man has sexual intercourse with a woman who is a slave designated for another man, she has not been redeemed or forgiven, but she has not been redeemed or given her freedom. There must be punishment. They are not put to death. Well, we've got to be careful when we read parts of the Bible that it, um, we shouldn't assume that God is giving his stick of approval for that kind of thing. He's saying that if this is happening, uh, this is the consequence for it. And we need to see that he's saying that, well, this is wrong. If there's a punishment for it, it is actually wrong. And so, uh, yeah, throughout the, um, the, the history of Israel, even the, the best of their, um, their people didn't follow all of the, the laws that God gave them. Um, you know, like David and, and King David and King Solomon had multiple wives and multiple concubines uh, and you know, the concubines, if you're in our Bible study groups through the week, um, would have seen that they are kind of a, a second-class wife and they're basically a sex slave. Um, and it's a horrible, terrible thing. And, um, and yeah, and God is not pleased at all with that. They shouldn't be doing it. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, God's pattern that he, he lays out for us in Genesis uh, we should be having that in mind as we, we read all of this. Uh, like, really, they shouldn't have to have all of these laws spelt out uh, <laughs> ad nauseum. Uh, that's good as a good word as we think about vomiting. Um, uh, um, it shouldn't be spelt out so much. If they actually just knew what God had intended, what he wanted for them in terms of their, their sexuality and all of the rest, they wouldn't need to expound the Ten Commandments. But because they want to try and sneak around and the angels have to come and say all of these things, you, know, you, you can't get around it. Yep. Thanks, Matt. Got time for one more question, friends? Yes, Ben? Um, what you were just saying there, do you think that the entire law in the Old Testament, do you think there's no holes in it? Do I think there's no holes in the entire law? What do you mean? As like, you were saying that they had to write the law because people were finding grey areas in the Ten mm, Commandments. Yeah. Is that what you meant? Oh, um... So, did yeah. 
is there any grey areas in the law? If they understood the law properly, yeah. no. Because Jesus says what the law is all about is about loving God and loving your neighbour as yourself. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at the Ten Commandments, that's what they are about. And so I think all of the rest of the law was given to, to show the people how sinful they are and how they try and get around uh, following the Ten Commandments, but they just can't. And to show that their need for Jesus to come and say, I will make you right. Um, come to me. Because you can't, you know, you just, you, you done messed up all the time. And you can't get away, get around it. And so it shows, uh, I think all of these laws show how much we need Jesus. Well, um, I'm going to pray as we, we finish up uh, and uh, musicians might like to start making their way up um, while I pray. So let's, let's pray as we, um, uh, yeah, we thank God for, for what he's done for us. Um, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that in your bottomless wellspring of love, you don't treat us as our sin deserves. But in the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection, you redeem us from all wickedness and you set us apart as your holy people. Thank you for making us holy when we could never do it on our own. Father, please help us to be who you have made us to be in Christ. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Help us to love our neighbour as ourselves. Help us to be holy as you are holy and to proclaim your praises to the nations for you have called us out of the darkness of sin and into your holy and marvellous light. All praise and honour and glory be to you alone.